0: Welcome to the Open Pantry Podcast for yet another episode. As always, it is fantastic to have you listening, so thank you for tuning in. It is great to have uh, a really uh, up-and-coming food writer in the Melbourne scene, uh, Cara Irving, uh, who's writing for the Herald Sun at the moment. How are you?
1: I'm very good, Sean. How are you?
0: I am exceptional. Thank you so much for being uh, being on the podcast. It's great to have you on. Uh, I've been following your stuff uh, on Instagram uh, for a while now, so it's um, good to finally connect over a podcast. Um, I know. Do you want to talk about how you started out in your uh, in your journalism career?
1: Yeah, sure. So for me, my journalism career started ten years ago, and I started as a hard news journal. So when I, I think for. I always wanted to work at a big newspaper and do the hard stories about crime and murder and, you know, holding the politicians to account. That was just my jam. And I ended up, uh, I suppose that passion ended up taking me all around Australia. I worked in regional Queensland in this uh, mining town called Gladstone for Uh, a couple of years and that was I say that was probably one of the best um best few years of my life it was amazing I I learned so many things I met so many great people and then I also moved to um not soon after that I moved to regional Victoria Mm uh in a town in it to a town called Ballarat which um if you're from Victoria you'll know it's a, a very uh contrast to the weather in uh, (laughs) uh, central Queensland so it was a bit of a wake-up call for me uh, weather-wise but um, I remember this there was this moment for me when I was working at the Ballarat Courier where my editor at the time pulled me aside and He was giving uh, rounds out to some of the new journos and he gave me police Mm -hmm. which i was stoked about because that's what i wanted to Mm -hmm. do but then he also gave me a food and wine round which (laughs) for me is a hard news journal i was like what is this what am i doing i you know i love to eat food and and, and drink wine but do i want to make a career out Mm -hmm. of it and it ended up being one of those moments where i just haven't looked back and i fell in love with it and Ever since then it's you know, fast forward five years later, it, I've been lucky enough to uh write uh reviews and uh write about drinks for the Herald Sun. So it's um yeah, it's been amazing. Did uh,
0: did it feel weird when you were getting those rounds at the Ballarat career to have police <laughs> and food and drink? Did that feel like it was kind of an oxymoron of two totally different things? Like must have been a bit wild.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It was a little like there were times where you would get called out to, you know, a terrible um, car crash Mm. where you'd have to go out, you know, really early in the morning and it was like almost snowing and, you know, do these awful things. But, you know, important work that journalists need to do to report the news of the day. But then by the afternoon, you could be interviewing some up-and-coming chef in a Spanish restaurant in, in Ballarat mm. and, and eating delicious, delicious paella <laughs> and, uh, you know, having beautiful wine. So it was, it was really great. I think it gave me a bit of perspective, um, you know, in my career and, and also in life. It doesn't need to be taken so seriously. We can have a bit yeah, of fun. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Was, was writing something you are always passionate about? sort of in in high school and uni like was that something you always wanted to
1: do absolutely it was I feel like I was you know when you hear journalists say oh I've I've always wanted to be a Mm. writer and then they end up pushing you into a career of journalism Mm, like that was textbook Mm. for me like I I like love writing and I love reading and I think you know, once upon a time, I wanted to do novel writing or film writing and and, and go down that path. But I think very quickly, um, anyone that will tell you that has gone down those paths, they're very brave and noble people. But you're not you're not really going to make like a, an income as regularly as, say, you were working in journalism, if you're lucky enough to work, um, you know, get regular work and, and, and work in a full-time gig. So I think I chose the safer side of things and um, went down the journalism path. But many may argue not so safe uh, at the moment.
0: No, absolutely not. It's hard to know what's really, um, what's safe and what's not, uh, you know, as we take this in May. Like, it's um, it's, um, oh, it's a very interesting time.
1: I know, and it's a crazy time everywhere, really. Mm. It's not just in journalism. I feel like no one really predicted that we'd have a global pandemic in 2020. So it's really hit everyone a bit hard.
0: Do you, do you find, Cara, that in times like this, in times of crisis, that obviously an industry, and I talked with um, Wendy Hargraves uh, you know, a month or so ago about mm-hmm. her sort of 30-year career in journalism. And is it, is it times like this that, you know, an industry which has been smashed with you know so many job losses um, and a narrowing of who owns um, you know the media landscape around the world, that people, uh, normal citizens, you know, really appreciate journalism so much more to actually get proper facts.
1: Oh, I definitely think so. I feel like working in uh, working for News Corp and working for the Herald Sun, um, you you certainly see a lot more people. The readers in particular shift to trusted news sources mm. in times of crisis mm. like i think there's a, a lot of people online especially on social media you probably see it too mm. where people are quick to label things fake news mm. or you know things that they don't agree with oh that's fake news mm. um and and quick to sort of give journos a bad rap but at the end of the day it just sort of shows how important journalism is to be that cornerstone in in society like we need to have journalists who can hold power to account can find out these facts like I think it's so crucial um as you said in times like this to have journalists who are willing to you know not just report on certain things because it's going to be trending or it's going to be looked upon favorably online these these are journalists who are reporting what's right um, regardless of the repercussions yeah
0: was there um so, I was just I was want to go back a step if I can was there someone in your mm-hmm. early childhood that got you into reading and writing and that kind of stuff that you emulated or was there something that just you you as a you as a um, a young lady loved to read uh,
1: I'm not sure really because I people have asked me this before and you, you'd think that there would be someone out there who you know I really looked up to and, yes. and took a liking to in writing but it's odd I have these sort of memories of me as a child i don't even know how old i would have been but we had someone gave me a laptop um, or not a laptop sorry someone gave me a typewriter <laughs> yes. so Going back, good <laughs> back good, yes. uh, i know millennial yes. um but going back oh god how many years ago maybe 20 25 years ago someone gave me a lap like this um typewriter and i just remember writing on it like i don't even know if i was spelling things correctly or what i was doing but i remember writing stories on a typewriter and um, it was not one of those old clunky you know antique looking oh you mean typewriters like electric, electric typewriters that
0: kind of thing yeah, yeah
1: this right. was sort of those cool like you know nineties nineteen nineties typewriters <laughs> yes. and and I uh, yeah with the with the ribbon and the ink and I remember getting one of those and just writing all these stories and, and um you know taking it to show and tell and and reading it and and I don't I don't know I don't know what it was. It might be one of those things that you were sort of meant to do when it was sort of within you. But um, mm. I, I don't know. I think there was a lot of people around me that said, you know, like parents and relatives that encouraged me to go into, you know, that kind of career because they saw it in me so young. Yeah. So maybe maybe that's where it came from.
0: There you go. Love it. Hmm. Um, yeah. as, a, as a journalist, you're going to naturally see, you know, things differently than what a normal consumer um he's going to see in the food scene and even different to someone like myself who's been in the industry for you know a long period of time like what have you seen happen to the industry over the last couple of months that you see has been really significant during COVID?
1: i think for for me personally something that i've noticed happen And it's happened across the board, as I said before, but you just really start to see uh, people sink or swim Mm -hmm. in times of crisis. And there's so many uh, restaurants and cafes out there that we'd, you know, without even giving a second thought, we'd go to all the time um, on a weekend and and during the week to get our coffee. But I think the sad reality is on the other side of this, we might not see many of our favourites come back. Mm. I think i think wendy hargraves mentioned this um in in your podcast recently but she was talking about people who were quick to pivot and and Mm restaurateurs and 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 managers who were quick to sort of pivot and move into a new um i suppose field and you know get on the takeaway and um open a restaurant um like you know some people are opening restaurants in this crazy time just to sort of do something different so i think Those people who are sort of thinking quickly and are being innovative are the ones that will survive. But I think, yeah, there's so many others, and you know, for for reasons out of their control that might not be able to survive after this.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Mm -hmm. What are you, which is sad, it's really sad because I think what, Mm -hmm. what we're starting to realize, and as we move into sort of this new period, as we're talking about you know, opening in certain restrictive measures over the next you know, three months is I think people are starting to realise how hospitality and sitting in a venue or having service by someone you don't know um, is really positive for mental health. And and I yeah. think people are realising how much they miss those little moments, whether that be a five-minute moment with a barista or a two-hour moment at, a, at your favourite sort of Italian restaurant. It's, um, yeah, it's really interesting to see people's points of view at the moment.
1: Oh, I agree. I was thinking about this the other day because... Uh, like myself and I'm sure you're doing this as well, but really getting into a lot of these great restaurants Mm. that are doing Mm takeaway. So there's so many out there at the moment. And whilst the food is awesome and and excellent and, you know, surprising that it's arriving in the same sort of form in a (laughs) a takeaway container and it's intact, but I think what's missing from that that process is that sort of it's it's sort of romantic in a way when you go to a restaurant what Mm. makes it isn't just the food it's the entire setting it's the having people you know sort of meet you at the door and and whisk you to a table and seat you and you know prepare the table so they'll set the table for you and you know they'll sort of present bottles of wine to you and show you I'm you know, what, what's on offer, what you're going to be drinking tonight. You can sample different types of wine. I think that whole process is so special. And I think so many people have taken that for, for granted in a way. And I think as soon as we're able to get back out there, there'll be a lot more people that are very grateful and appreciative of the fact that we, we can actually go out again yeah. and support these restaurants and support these businesses.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. Uh, what in your sort of gut feel like what areas of the hospitality industry do you think are going to be hit the hardest because i've sort of been towing and throwing in my own head about you know what the percentages of you know businesses that will unfortunately not trade again and maybe certain sectors of the market has been you know um a bigger portion of that moving forward do you have any sort of gut feel as you're talking to restaurant owners and business owners and other people of what kind yeah. of part of the industry
1: i think There's been a couple of restaurateurs that I've chatted to and people who own cafes over the last couple of weeks um, in the Chapel Street area that were talking about how they need to get back out there now um, and they need to have bums on seats and not just 10 people, but even if it's 20 people or more, because at the end of the day, like I think this one cafe owner that I was chatting to, he's only making 10% of his revenue um, based on takeaways, which is really not that much. And he said that if he gets it up to, you know, he can seat people and people can come in and eat and drink, it will be like 70% of his total revenue. Um, So I think restaurants that aren't willing to, I I know it sounds ridiculous, but I feel like if, I think the restaurants that are going to be the hardest hit are those that aren't willing to be innovative and pivot and think, okay how am I going to make a sustainable business like this guy is doing you know your your produce boxes he's Mm. opening as a grocery store he's still going to be delivering takeaway but then also on top of that he's opening up to the public so I think restaurants that don't adapt um to the this new way of life through takeaway probably will be impacted more so than others Mm. but And then another train of thought, because I've also been thinking about this too, is what will happen to our regional centres, like in Ballarat or Bendigo or Shepparton? Like I'm sure people out there, you know, will appreciate and want to support local business, but how often would you have takeaway if you lived in Ballarat? Like maybe once a week? You wouldn't even, like would you go out once a week? I don't Mm -hmm. know. So I wonder how these businesses are going to be supported as well.
0: Are you surprised when you look and you talked about living in Queensland and also living in regional, regional Victoria, so two regional parts of mm. two different states, and I've obviously I've lived in Queensland as well, so I understand it. Like mm. the Queensland government and how they've um, um, treated the hospitality industry once you go to outback or regional areas is very different to how they've treated the southeast of Queensland. Um, mm. And a lot more. Uh, they've they've allowed a lot more people to visit venues and and a lot more things to open up. Um, you know, mm. around the same time. Do you do you sort of wish that you know the Cara that was living in Ballarat? <laughs> do you do you wish that that would have happened uh, to regional centres of Victoria and you know New South Wales as well?
1: To, to open up more, you mean? Yeah, like
0: to open to mm. be more broad because maybe the outbreak hasn't gone to those particular areas as densely as what it has. In, city, in the city and suburban areas.
1: Yeah. Well, there was definitely questions early on about creating hubs. So to have, you know, Ballarat is, mm. and this was more journalists asking the questions to the authorities, whether mm. we can have, you know, these regional hubs. I don't think it's a bad idea. I think, you know, take Ballarat, for instance, and I mentioned Ballarat because I feel like it's a second home to me and I've got family there. But with Ballarat, like, they have had... not many cases compared to, say, Melbourne um, in the last few weeks. So with that said, you would think that, yeah, they should be opening up to more people, but on the other foot, it's kind of like you do that and then there is that risk of um, infection because we're not actually out of the woods yet. So in a way, yeah, I think we should start to open up more regional centres because we do definitely need people to be you know, supporting the local economy. We need people shopping in the in the um, shops along the um, the main street. We need people getting coffees and popping in for takeaway at restaurants. So I definitely feel like, yeah, we do need to um, open up those centres a bit more.
0: Let mm. you talked a bit about you know um, a bit about the psychology of a person and, and thinking about you know thinking about how they'll go out like. Do you think how much of a role to play do you think the psychological um, part of going out to a venue will will hinder because um, I suppose probably what a lot of hospitality owners are concerned with at the moment is, yes, we can open up to 20 and 50 and 100 in July, but will that many people actually want to come out and have the ability to move past that fear?
1: I'm not sure I feel like for me i'm probably a bit more on the conservative side side of mm. things and being a bit more cautious as much as I want to you know eat everywhere out as as soon as i can but mm. but then I look because we live in um sort of close to the city and you go around to places like Albert Park on a good day and it's just packed so yes. then I kind <laughs> of feel like there's that mentality in Melbourne where there's you know there's a section of people um specifically that just can't wait and are just chomping at the bit to just get out there and and go to restaurants and do all the things but then yeah i i'm not sure how much of the of melbourne is reserved i'm not sure whether i feel like there's the friends that i certainly speak to people are you know trying to be as safe as they possibly can and still not go out a lot like last weekend when they lifted the restrictions i didn't go out i didn't go and see Mm. friends or family i was still Mm. a little bit cautious so It'd be really interesting to see how many people out there are actually still being cautious about this or if everyone's just like, "Nah, we're we're out, we're out of the woods, we can just do whatever."
0: Yeah, I I've, I've been trying to battle with that myself and I know as we, you know, taped this on the 19th of May, like um and the restrictions were, you know, five people allowed in the house last Tuesday or last Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um I thought there was going to be you know, an explosion of people, you know, on the roads and visiting their mates and having having little parties and that kind of stuff. It didn't seem to happen, and I was really um, surprised by that. So,
1: yeah. Anyway,
0: we'll Can... see what happens
1: next. I did <laughs> I did read a story in um in the Sydney Morning Herald the other day as well. I'm not too sure whether you read it about how the restaurant scene went that first weekend that they opened. I don't know whether you saw that no, one. No, I hadn't read that. No. Yeah, it's really interesting. You should look it up. It's an an article by Callan Boys and he's mm-hmm. um he just sort of talked to people who were queuing up um outside some Sydney restaurants to go in there and you know why they were doing it and and the mm-hmm. vibe and it just seems like a completely different way of dining like having the really strict set times and when you can go in and and eat and drink and if you mm. if you're late to your booking then you know you're only going to get that hour they're not going to be able to extend you mm. you know further so i think it's going to be a really interesting you know brave new world that we're going to see in hospo
0: yeah i think it i think it has a it, uh, my concern is that for a while until we get, you know, a vaccine and people start to feel really comfortable, it's going to feel quite clinical. Yeah. And, um, you know, you're right. If if your booking was at 12 o'clock for, you know, to a 12 to a one and you're there at quarter past 12, <laughs> yeah. have, they, have they given it away? And like, are oh, they going to be really scrupulous now? Because it's, it's not like a Sunday brunch anymore where no. they've, you know. Got a heap of people, so it'll be it'll be super interesting to see what happens. Yeah,
1: I know. Well, hopefully we still get you know people that are, are still going to want to go out, and mm. you know, with within reason. Like, I mean, you know, we're not going to as much as we all want to go out every single Saturday, you know, for lunch and dinner. Like, mm. we might not be able to do that, but uh, I feel like I, you'd really hope that they can preserve, or the restaurants can preserve that bit of vibe and charm and experience for for customers i'm sure they will i'm sure they'll
0: yeah i'm sure they will too it would just be it would just be an adjustment like everything else has been the last couple of months so, yeah, yeah we'll get used to it <laughs> what what do you think like we we often talk a lot about you know the negative things that have happened the last couple of months and obviously an industry which is on its knees like the hospitality and the you know the tourism industry and the arts industry like what what are you most excited about in the long term for the industry coming out of this do you think
1: i think going back to what i was saying before about that greater appreciation and just overall gratitude for the hospital industry i feel like you know over time the industry gets a bad rap there's you know lots of negative stories out there about underpayment mm. and all that kind of stuff but i feel like at the moment people are really realizing that they're missing restaurants and they're missing that part of their lives where they were able to, you know, have the freedom to go out and go out for dinner and go on a date and go to a bar and sit at the the actual bar and get a beer and watch the footy. Like I think people are really uh, realising this. And if they're not realising this, and they probably should because we're not going to be able to do any of these things properly for a long time. But I think you'd like to think that people out there will be more appreciative of that that industry and what kind of joy people can get from that industry. I feel like, you know, we'll be seeing less people, well, fo- hopefully less people complaining about, oh, you know, you, know, you sent me out the wrong <laughs> dish and this was burnt and all that kind mm. of stuff or you gave away mm-hmm. my table too soon and all that kind of jazz. I think people will start to hopefully appreciate it. So I'm looking forward to that side of things i'm also looking out to going out and eating and and drinking um beautiful um you know eating beautiful food and drinking beautiful wine like i can't wait <laughs> it'll
0: be great me either trust me so um <laughs> how um how i was gonna ask how to how do hospitality owners you know usually treat someone like yourself who's a writer for a major publication i know you do a lot of stuff in your mm. with your own brand mm. and and that kind of stuff as well like how do hospitality owners usually treat you because you know the industry's been um uh somewhat taken a mm. bit along the ride with influences the last oh, yeah uh, you know three or four years and i know that's a bugbear for a lot of owners is you know free meals and and that kind of stuff but How do you find the treatment is with you as a to a writing piece?
1: I don't think – like, sure, people get unhappy with a bad review or they they get annoyed, but Mm. I I think there's a level of respect there. And I think Mm. it's very easy to see – Especially in a world of social media, where we've got people who are bloggers or influencers and going out there and yes. demanding free food, and I think um, mm. John Lethleen's done really well with that couscous for comment um, campaign. <laughs> I, I, I do enjoy reading a few of those, yes. so I think it's um, it's good. I think yeah, an industry like wealthy influencers and the bloggers, and you know they have their part, um, but you know I think that time and again we see that side of the industry bring give us a bad rap but there's two distinct roles here um i think yeah you wouldn't want to blur the lines between the two
0: yeah no i totally agree with that Mm. um what do you think makes a good food writer slash critic cara because you just touched on that you know there are so many people writing about food now uh, and some good like there are obviously a lot of people just um um getting a good photo of Mm. Um, But what actually makes good critical writing about food and experience in your eyes? I
1: think with what we do um, as food writers and food critics is uh, you're providing an honest, unbiased view of what's happening. Mm. And I think that's really important in this day and age where people are being pretty much sent things or given experiences um, in exchange for a nice review on Zomato or a really Mm -hmm. um, nice Google review or uh, a blog post. And I think the difference, Well, I know the difference between the two is that what we're doing is we're providing that unbiased view. There's no, um, a way in which a restaurant can influence what we're writing. Because I think as soon as that starts to creep into what we do, it just completely destroys our credibility and and authenticity. So I feel like a a good food writer is someone who isn't shaped by any external sources when they're writing their review. I think you need to be honest, um, not be scared to say what you mean and just to say what you mean about a certain dish or a place, the vibe of the place. I think there's, yeah, there's a really, um, a good, um, respect in the industry for people who are able to do that. And there's so many people out there that do that really well, so. Mm.
0: Can you think of your most favourite hospitality experience? Because I think as we, and I'll give you <laughs> 30 seconds yeah. to think about it, the reason, the reason why I ask is because I think I could probably break down my five You know top ones pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and i think it's important that people listening to this podcast and understanding um uh, who may be hospitality owners need to understand that hospitable hospitality needs to be the forefront of what we do moving forward in order to create success and not have as many closures as we could have Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day as an industry what we're doing is creating moments for Mm -hmm. people so can you remember what your one of your greatest well, favorite moments oh, is. Oh, gosh.
1: I feel like they're all different though because, uh, you know, you, just because uh, you're going to – because I'm, I'm going to list places where – do you want me to list names? Do you want me to name places or do you want me just to – Sure. Or can I just sure. speak generally? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm not Both. sure. Both. You can do <laughs> I'm not sure whether I should <laughs> name places or not. I don't know. I'm getting inside <laughs> my own head now. Uh, okay.
0: I could do it. You could do whatever. I can okay. Ask. Maybe
1: I'll keep it vague. Okay. Okay. So – there's places that I particularly like um, when I go out for dinner and it's not necessarily a place that's super fancy and super luxe. Like, yes, I've been to restaurants that are really these five-star restaurants that where the service is impeccable, where you're treated like mm. a guest um, going on this journey. I know that sounds a bit wanky, but you're sort of taken from the street pretty much into this restaurant and you're – just treated like i suppose just like a king or a queen like i feel like Mm. that service is super important and they're probably the most memorable um experiences that i've had like i've i remember um got this is going back years ago but i went to the uh the fat duck when the fat duck came to melbourne Mm. and i was Mm -hmm. so lucky because i got drawn out of the ballot and you had to sort of make this really quick decision because i think at the time you could only choose five tables or like a table of five or a table of two and oh, and right. you just had to put your like ballot down to say i want a table of five or a table of two and i think at the time i got mm. my um well now my now husband luke to put down one table and i put down the other and i ended up getting the table of five and i had to make this split decision to it <laughs> Yeah, I was like, who's coming with me? And it was also like $500 a pop. So it was like, wow. yeah, you know, right. good friends would do it. But then if you're calling up randoms going, oh, hey, do you want to come to the Fat dark? It's $500 and you have to decide tonight. Okay, think about it. <laughs> so, but I just remember that experience. Like that probably would have been my first taste of real fine dining. And that was exceptional. Like it was a six-hour feast of um deliciousness like all the food was exceptional mm. the wine was exceptional the service was exceptional so i think when we're talking about things that uh people in the hospitality industry might be wanting to adopt going forward um post um COVID would be just honing in on that service because i think You know you can cook some delicious food and and serve some incredible wine and drinks but if the service isn't there and it's not a warm friendly feeling and vibe i don't think that it's really going to add up um for a lot of Mm, people and you can do that at a pub you don't have to do that at um you know a fancy restaurant it can be anywhere and i think some of those places aren't that snooty and pretentious um are even better when you get that level of service
0: yeah, it's super interesting, isn't it? Like it doesn't it doesn't really matter if it is fine dining or it is a QSR yeah. restaurant or it is a, you know, a cafe that's literally a hole in the wall. Like it it really just matters who's who's going to it. um it. Absolutely. Obviously, in the industry, the last couple of months, we've seen almost a segregation between um, the government treating um Hosp- uh, certain part, certain people with a job keeper and a and a job seeker allowance, but a large majority of our of our crews in hospitality are people on student visas and people on working holiday visas, which haven't been supported. Um, if those people decide to leave the country and not stay in Australia, or they decide not to be part of hospitality again, how do you think that's going to affect the industry? Because you're so close to people who, you know, deliver hospitality moments when you're going and you know. Uh, writing about certain different establishments. Are you concerned yeah, about that? absolutely.
1: I think it's a large – those people who are on those types of visas for, form a large part of the hospital industry here in Australia. And I think mm. without people like that or those people in those roles, it's not going to be the same. And I think the government would actually take notice or you would hope that they would take notice because – it it makes up such a significant part. I think um, the work that uh, Danny uh, Valent has been doing, um, mm, yeah, been has been phenomenal. Them, yeah. So she's been um, an excellent sort of voice um, for people in the industry on visas. Um, but mm. even even the other day, I was I was chatting to um, some guys at, at the VU Group, um, and they were saying that yep. like many. Um, I I assume this would be standard across the board, but, you know, they're doing their takeaway um, service because they want to give their, their workers something to do. Like, I think most of these Mm. um, hospitality owners are looking, uh, uh, restaurant owners, sorry, are looking to give these guys work because they want to give them work. And it's just, it's just so unfortunate to to see how much Mm. money in some instances people having to, um, you know, come up with to actually stay in Australia and to actually keep their jobs. So it's um yeah, it's it's not great. And I think, um, yeah, if if there was a mass exodus of these types of workers, someone will notice and you'd certainly hope the government would notice.
0: Yeah. And I knew that Chris Lucas was doing the same thing. Mm. I think that's pretty much the reason why he started up his delivery <laughs> yeah. again. Um, where he didn't he didn't I don't think he really wanted to. And I think he, you know, honestly just did that for his mm for his visa holders, which is really scary. And, and I remember um, uh, when this all happened in late March and uh, the previous role I was in before I all stood down and ringing up mm. all of our you know all of our staff to unfortunately stand them down as my CEO was mm. doing as well. And, you know, these these guys who were from parts of Asia or parts of Europe decided, you know, deciding on yeah. a whim whether they should go home or not. That's like, nuts, just, isn't it? It's,
1: it's
0: beyond crazy. nuts yeah. when, you know, and it really affects you because you're, you know, as as I'm sure you are with your uh, fellow journalists at News Corp, like your yeah. family. And it's, mm. <laughs> it's hard when you have to tell your family, like, maybe yeah, you should go home. It's, like,
1: it's yeah, and story. especially in that mm. week where I think a lot of it, people were just in shock of what was happening in the world. Like, yes. I think, I don't know whether you felt mm. the same way, but I think there was this period when mm. you look back that... I think the world was just in shock of what was happening. I think everyone was in a bit of self-doubt. Yes. So to then pile yeah. on this, yeah, another huge decision to make about your future career in your life, it's just, yeah, it's unfathomable.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about yes. some happy things as a final <laughs> note to you. Cause I know you've been, you've been doing a lot of, um, a lot of stuff mm-hmm. on Instagram, especially with Luke. Oh yeah. Super good one. Um, and I know you're, you're thinking about doing this new concept called Snack yes, Chat, right? Yes, Snack Chat. So tell me about this because since you mentioned this last week, I've been trying to figure out what <laughs> all this means. So I'm super excited to know. So please yes. land it so on Yes, so
1: Snack me. Chat is something that I've been toying with for a while. It's a, a web mm-hmm. video series that we're releasing on the 1st of June, which will go live on YouTube, Instagram and Facebook. And it's Amazing. a web chat show where I ask some of Melbourne's favourite foodies, so people in the industry and out of the industry who are just big fans of food, questions that mm-hmm. rarely get asked. But it's not any, cool. you know, the hard-hitting questions that no one has thought about. It's it's questions that people probably haven't asked because they probably don't really want to know them. They don't want to know the answers to them. <laughs> <laughs> so...
0: I'm a bit worried (laughs) about the questions I'll I'll give
1: you an example. I'll give you an example. So, um, and you can play along too if you want, but it it sort of started where Mm. we were just sitting around the table, just, you know, coming up with questions at a dinner party and someone would say, Mm. what's the best form of fried potato? And then you think about it and you're like, Mm. okay, well, we've got chips, we've got French fries, we've got wedges, Mm. we've got beer-battered chips, we've got potato cake or potato scallop for those in uh, the Northern States um, but then, yeah, yes. it's like, what what is, what is your favourite? And, and I was thinking for, about that for a while and I'm like, oh,
0: yeah, but what, for, what is
1: it? Like, <laughs> what would it be? Another one um, to, to keep you going is uh, when you go overseas or when we were able to go overseas, what would you eat yes. when you came back? What was the first thing that you would eat? Because I feel like everyone's Ooh. got a meal. like, and I, and I know that it can't just be me. So my my one, and while you think about your answer, yes. my one is yes. I just for whatever reason, wherever I've been, I want to come back and I want to have a nice lamb dinner. So it's like a lamb roast or okay. lamb schnitzel, depending, uh-huh. uh, with some uh-huh. great veg, some potatoes, roasted potatoes. Mm. And then I just, mm. yeah, and some heaps of gravy. Like, that's just something that I crave, and I will have that 100% of the time whenever I come back from overseas. Yeah.
0: That's super interesting. I My answer would be, and I think about my sort of last major trip was um, a couple of weeks that I spent sort of by myself in America, and I went to L.A., and I went to yep. New York. Yeah. Um, were, and and all I was I was trying to really understand the bar oh, yeah. scene a lot um, especially in New York um, which was really important for me to understand that as I was mm-hmm. growing up in culture in sort of 2018 19 um but I, after that I really wanted to come back to it uh, Oh to yes how nice is that I know that's I know that's just a very lucky no. thing to say but like it was it's um and it's probably one of the things I've missed the yes. most not being noticed oh, in the pub yeah. For the last two months and have one of those or have the ability like it's like someone's taking away <laughs> i know so i awesome. know
1: oh well um, hey, i missed it so much yeah. the other weekend that i just made it at home myself and i yeah, and i was like yes. i'm gonna have a party. so we made chicken <laughs> so parma i think i found like dan hong's <laughs> ultimate chip recipe online so it was it was great
0: <laughs> you stumped me with the potato oh, thing you don't those. know oh. it's a
1: hard one isn't yeah. it because i feel like they, they're all great in their own little way
0: but chips yeah and potatoes like my favorite it is thing. your favorite thing. so it's really in, in any form right. like in any form so so back back when i was trying to conserve my crisp yeah obsession uh because i'd have crisps more than once a week i would i invented a thing called oh, chip day right. tuesday in which i would just have chips on tuesday just to corral it this. into one day and make it That's and so make great. it more special so, um, but roast look roast potatoes. That sort of roast potatoes that I yeah roast potatoes is probably a thing I would do. So like um, I'd probably um, just rough them up so they're better, and then they're in oh, olive yeah. oil and that kind of stuff, and roast them off yeah. so they're really really brown. So that's probably that's, that's probably my potato. potato yeah, potato story. I
1: love it. That's, peak that's potato. so good. Yeah. That's so great. Well, yeah, there's plenty of um, other fun and zany questions like that coming up on uh, the show. So um, we'll have okay. to get you on and you can, uh, and I you can, that, I can ask you more crazy on.
0: questions. Kara, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being uh, on the Open Petri Podcast. Anytime. Really Thanks for having me. It. That's all right. What is the best way that people can find out about Snapchat or find out about what you're doing at the Herald Sun and find your Fabulous. Instagram so you
1: can find my written work on uh, the Herald Sun website. You can also check out uh, my work on my website, which is karairving.com. Mm-hmm. I've got a little blog there where I write about uh, wine. You'll also find Snapchat on the same website. And on Instagram, Snapchat is snackchat underscore au.
0: Awesome. I can't wait to check that out when it comes out on the 1st of June.
1: Good stuff.